So on today's podcast is the first in a mini series of family finance focused episodes. And today's episode was inspired by a question from a listener. So let's listen to that question and we'll get into the answers in the podcast. Hi, Medics Money. Thanks for all the advice you've shared through this podcast over the years. It certainly made me look at my finances differently. And this has become particularly relevant since my daughter was born. As a doctor with a non-medic husband in an equally well-paid job, we are in a very financially privileged position. But I've realized over the two and a half years of our daughter's life that there are still financial benefits and opportunities for saving money that we haven't taken advantage of because I find the system very difficult to navigate. I currently claim child benefit, but I'm not entirely sure if I'm still eligible. Does this consider one or two salaries in a two-income household? How and when do I pay the child benefit high income tax charge? And at what salary does it stop being worth claiming at all? We also recently, only recently started using a tax-free childcare account for money off nursery fees, as I didn't know it existed and fear we could have been saving for a lot longer. Who is eligible for that and when? Are there other benefits we might have missed? While thinking of children and babies, your podcast has also made me realize that I should have been paying closer attention to my national insurance and pension contributions. I didn't make any changes during maternity leave, but wonder now if there was anything I should have done. Do you have any other tips for saving money during this wonderful but expensive period of our lives? Thank you very much. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. As ever, this podcast is for entertainment only and does not represent any form of financial, legal or accounting advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. Wow. Okay. So a lot to get through in this question, but I'm delighted to introduce today's expert guest, Lizzie Lloyd, who is not only a specialist medical accountant with Larkin Gowan, but also has a family. So we thought you'd be the perfect person to tackle this episode. Yeah, I'm a specialist medical accountant at Larkin Gowan for, well, it must be 27 years because that's how old my um, oldest son is. And I started just after he was born. So yeah, there's a lot to talk about in this question. So shall I just go straight into it? Yeah, let's get into it because I think it could be quite a big one. I've got a few questions as well. Yeah, let's do it. Well, let's start with the child benefit because the history of this is that it was paid to the person who mainly took on the home responsibilities and it was paid directly to them. And that still remains the case. You know, it can still be directly paid to the person who claims it, who's at home looking after the children. But it kind of goes against independent taxation because it can be paid back if there is one person in the household who earns more than £50,000. So, and it's paid back by the person who earns the most. So the household is receiving child benefit. One person's earning 55 and one's earning 100. Then it should be paid back by the person who's earning 100. But rather unusually, you can have a household where both people are earning 48, 49 grand. They can carry on receiving child benefit, not have to pay it back. But as soon as you've got somebody who's paying earning 65 and the other person earning nil, the household income is less, but you've got to pay back the child benefit. Yeah, that always seems a bit of a quirk. So basically, if your household income is £98,000 split equally about both, about across both of you, then you're all good. But if one of you earns over uh, 50, then you have to start paying it back. Is that, have I got that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Is You've also got to know what the other person in your household is doing who may not be the mother or father of the children. 
So you could move in with somebody who has got children who is receiving child benefits. And if you are contributing to the household, then you would have to pay back the child benefit received by your partner. Okay. So, all right. So hopefully that answers um, that question. Anything else um, that we're going to go through? Yeah, well, I think there's lots to consider around this because, as I say, it was mainly paid to the person who took on the home responsibilities. And as such, that person who was receiving that child benefit was protected for state pension. So they got national insurance credits. It was called home responsibilities protection. It's now slightly different. It's called national insurance credits or something. So if you were prior to 2010 at home, maybe not being the one in receipt of the child benefit, then you may need to just check your state pension records and claim those home responsibility protection credits so you can get a fuller state pension at retirement. Also, if, you know, I think a lot of people go, oh, I'm not going to be entitled to child benefit, so I'm not going to claim it. But actually, maybe you should still register for it to get those national insurance credits, particularly if you're in that scenario where you've got one partner who's earning 90,000 to one who's earning nothing, person who's earning nothing should still register for it, doesn't have to receive the actual cash. Yeah. So this is something that I think a lot of people are not aware. So I'm just going to make sure I've understood it correctly. So basically, if you don't claim it, you might not build up a full national insurance record. And if you don't build up a full national insurance record, you might not be eligible for the full state pension. Have I got that correct? Or Yeah, not? that's exactly right. Yeah. So that seems like a really important point to me. Okay, so that's child benefit. That's the straightforward bit, to be honest, isn't it? Well, there's <laughs> probably some more quirks and some takeaways I wanted to add in there. Yeah. So as I said, it started to be withdrawn if one parent earns more than 50,000, but it, it's tapered down. So actually, it's above 60,000. It's lost in its entirety. So between 50 and 60,000, you'll lose a percentage of the child benefit. <laughs> So you'll receive the child benefit and have to pay some back. Now, I would always say if you're in that bracket, you should register and you should claim the child benefit because you won't know until the end of the tax year how much to claim back. And you, if you've got it in your pocket, you get to keep it. Whereas if you haven't claimed it in the first place, you haven't got it. <laughs> so I'd say only make the election not to receive it if you are certain that your income or one partner's income is going to be above £60,000. And if income is fluctuating, again, better to receive it and have to pay some back than not claim it at all. Okay. Yep. Good advice. And then the question went on to talk about tax-free childcare, which is a, ma a massive subject as well. Yeah. So both tax-free childcare and child benefit follow the same rules. So when we talk about income being above 50000 for child benefit, and I'll come on to the tax-free childcare rules in a moment. And we say, what, what is the 50,000? And it's something called adjusted income. So it may be straightforward. If you've just got a salary, it's, is your salary below or above 50,000? Well, but I think in the case of medics, it's probably not going to be that straightforward because adjusted income is your total taxable income before your personal allowance, less certain reliefs. So we could look at all of those components because if your adjusted net income is planning to put you into a threshold where you're not entitled to the full child benefit or not entitled to tax-free vouchers, there's probably something you might be able to consider and do to put yourself back in a situation to be able to claim these, these benefits or the vouchers. So I could go on to that now or I can go straight on to the tax-free voucher rules. Well, this adjusted income thing sounds really relevant. And I like the sound of doing something to get below a tax <laughs> threshold. So t tell us more, please. <laughs> right. Okay. 
So adjusted income, right, it's going to be basically your employment income, your self-employed income, your interest, your dividends. So firstly, if you've got those two partners in a household where one's not earning and one is above the 50,000, if they're receiving interest and dividends, even though they may not be taxable because they fall into tax-free allowances, they could be pushing them over that threshold where they lose child benefit. So why not move that to the other partner if they haven't got any other income? If you've got employment income, Check your claiming your expenses. So we all know if you've got some subscriptions for your GMC, BMA, claim those. It's going to reduce your taxable income for these benefits. Salary sacrifice, that will also reduce your taxable income. If you're self-employed income, make sure you're claiming your expenses to reduce that down. Property income is also included. So again, if you are husband and wife or it has to be husband and wife probably in this scenario, who own, who've got the property, can you move the property to the spouse? who may be below the 50,000 and does that then create the other person to be slightly more eligible for more child benefit. You may have done all of those things and your um, tax adjusted income is 51,000. So you lose at 51,000, 10% of your child benefit. So about 100 odd quid. Now, if you make gift aid payments and or pension payments, they also come off your adjusted income. So you might be able to get that 51 down to 50. Now, if you make a gift aid payment, obviously you're still giving away something, but it's not costing you as much to be charitable and make that donation. And you benefit from the tax relief on the gift aid and the saving in the child benefit. But pensions, probably even better if we didn't have any annual allowance pension tax charge rules. You know, you could make a one off payment into a personal pension scheme, which would reduce your taxable income potentially make you eligible for some of these child benefits. And as we're coming to the tax-free childcare vouchers. Yeah. Okay. Um, complicated, as you said. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we didn't have annual allowance, lifetime allowance, pension could be a good move. You said something kind of interesting there, which was that if you had a property, you could move it to the partner, but it would have to be your partner. Is that because of capital gains? or? Yeah. Yeah. So Can we thinking- go down that rabbit hole or is that we- too much of a rabbit hole? Well, let's just briefly touch on that rabbit hole. (laughs) So I think, yeah, if you own property as husband and wife, you can move that property between spouse without creating any capital gains tax. So if you hold a property jointly, it has to be taxed 50-50 and you've got to watch the mortgage. So there's actually, I'm not going to go too far down this rabbit hole because you've got to worry about um, if you've got mortgage and therefore there may be stamp duty. And you can hold the property as joint tenants or tenants in common, and you might break that. But longer term, if you're looking at some tax planning, you don't necessarily want these assets that are deriving income that's taxable to be in the hands of the higher earning spouse. Yeah, it was a rabbit hole, as I suspected. Yeah, let's just um, it <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, in general as well, the message I'm getting is that, you know, consider taxation as a family. So like you said, if you've got an asset, uh, like a, a, a property generating income, um, it doesn't make sense to have that income going into the higher earning spouse, you know, they go to the lower earning. And I think that's the same. I mean, obviously, interest rates are quite low at the moment and potentially aware that you've got this savings allowance. So if they receive, I don't know, £500 of interest, it may not be taxable in their hands but it still counts towards this adjusted net income threshold. So it may be sensible to move those or put it into, I don't know, not giving financial advice, but premium bonds or something that's not taxable. Yeah. Okay. So should we talk about... Tax-free childcare? Yeah. Yeah. So again, this works 
in a similar way in that it considers both partners' earnings and there's a cutoff, which is 100,000. So with tax-free childcare, you create an account and for every eight pounds you put in there, the government will top up another two pounds. So you've got 10 pounds then to use towards childcare costs. And you can claim back effectively 2,000 pounds for each child per year. I say per year, it's actually per quarter. It's actually 500 pounds per quarter that you can claim back. So you've just got to watch that because if you don't claim it for the first quarter, you've only got 1,500 pounds left for the other three quarters. Slightly different rules if you've got, or say, higher amounts if you've got um, a disabled child. And um, it's not something as accountants we tend to get involved with because it doesn't go through tax returns. You set up the account yourself, um, you put your money in, you get some credits back, and then you draw down that money to use for childcare, approved childcare that accepts those vouchers. So you're eligible, again, if so a couple earning 60000 each would be eligible. But as soon as you've got one partner over 100000 illegible. So you've got to consider that adjusted net income even more so here because, you know, you think you've got two children, um, so you could claim um, up to 4000 And so say you that would mean you'd be spending 20000 I think, on childcare. But if one parent earns over 100,000, say owns 101, you've lost four grand of credits. So, you know, in that scenario, you would probably make a gift aid donation or pop something into a pension, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, if you could make a thousand pound donation to get back under uh, adjusted net income of 100 yeah. uh, to say, say for, you know, so, okay. So basically, if you're tight on these thresholds, you need to sit down and or just listen to this uh, really slowly uh, and carefully. <laughs> I know because it's pretty complicated, isn't it? But probably, you know, like you said, you don't get involved in this because you can do most of this yourself by the government website. So I think this is well within the realms of most people to be able to do themselves. Hopefully, this podcast is going to help more and more people to do it themselves as well. So we actually have a few live guests today from our GP partnership course. So if you want to ask a question, uh, drop it in the chat and we'll do it. I also got some other questions from the community, but should we carry on for a bit and then do some questions? Yeah. Do you want me to carry on talking about tax-free childcare? Yeah. What else can I say about it? When you register, you have to um, make a statement that you are eligible for it as a family. So, And then you have to reaffirm that every three months. So it may be that partway through the year, you don't become entitled to it and then you just stop receiving the credits. It's easier if you're employed. And actually going back to, you know, people listening to this podcast, considering their finances now is probably a great time to do it because you're just coming to the end of the tax year. So if you, if you feel, feel like you've gone over the thresholds for losing child benefit, you've got some time to do it now and, you know, planning for the following year as well. It can't be backdated. So, you know, you've got to, You've got to preempt what you're going to do go forward. Yeah, I think that was like one of the questions from the community was, yeah, exactly that. So if you're sort of hovering around the threshold, so let me put this in context. If you're a new GP partner um, at the moment, if you join, you get up to a £20,000 golden hello to incentivize partnership. So imagine, you know, you're on 90 and then you get your golden hello and you're not quite sure if it's going to push you over because it's really hard to predict GP earnings. What should a GP partner in that situation do if they're not sure? Well, I think if they are pretty sure they're going to be over the 100,000, then they have a duty of care not to apply for those vouchers. 
but probably I would look at what can they do to maybe make sure they can get below that 100,000. So as a partner, as a GP partner, you claim personal expenses against your profit share. Is there, can they accelerate some of the purchasing decisions they want to do? You know, I don't know, do they want a fancy new doctor's bag that they weren't going to get till the summer, but actually they could buy earlier or were they thinking of buying a new car and does it make sense for the capital allowances to get it slightly earlier? So yeah, it's trying to bring some of those decisions forward, maybe looking at charitable payments under gift aid, maybe looking at pension. They might have unused relief if they're a new partner. Yeah. So in that case, you probably do need to have a chat with your specialist medical accountant who's also doing your accounts, basically. So Yeah, because then they'll also be able to give you a prediction of what the profits may be and you know whether you are going to be below or above anyway, the 100,000. Okay. Uh, I feel like we've done tax-free childcare and child benefit. Uh, anything else to say about those or any tips and tricks? No, I think we've probably covered cool. the main tips and tricks. <laughs> yeah. I think you wanted to talk a bit about mat leave. Is that right? Yeah. So maternity leave, if you're an employee, you get statutory maternity allowance, but you don't get that if you're a partner. So you, but there, you are eligible for something called maternity allowance, which works pretty much the same way, but you've got to claim it. And you have to have, you have to be registered with HMRC as a self-employed individual. And you've had to have paid so many class two national insurance credits. So I think just watching those rules and making sure that when you become self-employed, you register and you pay those class two contributions, which you know, your accountant would put on your tax return. But sometimes HMRC, if you haven't registered, won't collect the credits and therefore you wouldn't then be eligible. I think you could put it right, but it's the difference between £27 a week and £151 a week. So I think as soon as you become self-employed, make sure you register and consider, consider any gaps you might have. I don't know, did you, you know, qualify and then go off traveling for three months? because you won't have paid any national insurance in those three months. Do you need to top that up in case you then, you know, come back and three months later decide to have a family? Yeah. Okay. Uh, again, that is good information. National insurance is just uh, complicated. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that was super useful. Uh, hopefully not too complicated. So any other, I mean, as I said, you've got a family and you're an accountant. Any other sort of tips or tricks that you want to share with the listeners today? financial or you know parenting advice wow, we always, like okay asking for a friend imagine you've got a two-year-old who still doesn't sleep through the night look at these bags under my eyes i'm struggling here yeah any they, sleep they, yeah they do sleep eventually they do walk they do talk don't stress about these things they will get out of their nappies <laughs> no competition with your kids <laughs> i think that was helpful okay that was super helpful What I'm taking home from it is that adjusted net income, if you're close to the threshold, there's a few things that you might be able to do, which you could make a charitable donation of £1,000 and get 4000 back, uh, which is uh, always good, a win-win. And also, I think in general, just try to consider taxation as a family. Yeah, probably just the final thing to mention is we talked a lot about the tax and the national insurance. Don't forget the pension. The message at the start was, have I missed anything on pensions? When you're on maternity leave, on statutory maternity leave as an employee, you're or a salary GP, your pensionable pay, which is what then derives you your pension in retirement, should be based on your unreduced earnings, not on your statutory 
maternity pay. So make sure when you fill in those certificates or review your pension record that that's been done correctly. Right. That is absolutely massive thing to end on because that's really important because if you don't do that, then you could get an artificial spike in your pension growth and then that could cause all kinds of mayhem. Is that right? Yeah. But also you will have lost out on pension benefits in retirement. So, I mean, I think don't rely on your employer. If you're salary GP, you fill in a type two pension certificate. So you have control over that. But don't put on that certificate your taxable pay because your taxable pay is not your pensionable pay when you're on maternity leave. And if you're pre-practitioner, then just make sure that your pension record, you know, log on to your statement, get it, check that when you're on maternity leave, it reflects your unreduced pensionable pay because employers don't always get it right. Yeah. uh, Amazing tip to end on. Okay. Thank you so much for your time today, Lizzie. Shall I put your contact details in the show notes if people want to get... What's the best way to get hold of you? Just via Larkin Gowan website? Yeah, or you can put my email in there. Oh, wait. Last time we did that, Dave Walker from... Um, <laughs> he, he, okay, put my contact in. <laughs> there's 25,000 people a month listening to this. You don't want to put your own email. <laughs> Dave Walker learned the hard way. We'll put some kind of contact details in the show notes below. And thank you so much for your time. And I'll look forward to seeing you on the next session of the Medics Money GP course, which is coming up really soon. Take care, everyone. Thanks Thanks so much for listening. Bye.